0: All right, as you're being seated, if you can take out your Bible, uh, turn it on, or open it up, we're going to be in James chapter 1 today, and we've been working through the first chapter of James, and we've discovered that often the difference between joy and resentment or fulfillment and discontentment is a matter of perspective. On April 16th, I stumbled across a headline in the Harvard Business Review, and here's what the headline read. It said, to change the way you think, change the way you see. And so in the article, Adam Brandenberger tells two great stories about perspective. The first was about a Swiss engineer. His name is George de Mistral. And George de Mistral was walking through a field one day, and he got burrs on on his slacks or on his clothing. Anybody ever had that experience? It's a joyful experience indeed, but his mind became inquisitive, so he put this under a microscope and he began to seeing that he began seeing that the burrs had natural hooks which would attach themselves to the loops in his clothing. And so this changed his perspective. Suddenly instead of instead of seeing the burrs as annoying, he saw them as an answer, and so Mistral discovered what we call Velcro. That's right. There was another engineer, an American entrepreneur. His name is Robert Taylor, and he was in a restroom, and this restroom was pristine. I mean, everything was clean, and there was nothing out of order at all, but there was a soap dish, and there was a bar of soap on the soap dish, and next to the bar of soap, was that ooze. You know what I'm talking about? Just that ooze, that ooze. And you think about 100 people have created that ooze. Yeah, so Taylor began looking at that, and he looked at it with a different perspective. As an entrepreneur, he started thinking, I have an opportunity here to fix a problem. And so guess what Taylor discovered? He invented soft soap. Perspective. Sometimes we have to look at the situation we're in with a different perspective. Perspective is actually vital to your spiritual growth. Mature Christians have to learn to look at your circumstances in life as opportunities for God to grow you. And make sure you catch this. For you to really grow and be the person God has created you to be, you have to begin seeing life with an eternal perspective. You have to widen the lens and see life through the lens of eternity. Now, the Christians in James' era were struggling with this very issue. And so, in verse 9, James writes these words to them Let the brother of humble circumstances boast in his exaltation, but let the rich boast in his humiliation because he will pass away like a flower of the field. So here was the typical mindset or perspective that people had back in James' day. If life is easy, if I have money, if I have things, then God is for me. But if life is hard, if I don't have much money, if I'm poor, if I don't have many things, then God is against me. So they had a perspective, and they were bringing a consumer, short-term perspective to an eternal, long-term relationship with a loving God. Thankfully, this never happens today, right? We never have a short-term perspective when it comes to God. We never have a what-have-you-done-for-me-lately view when it comes to God, do we? None of us ever struggle with that, do we? Am I? uh, Yeah. Okay, so I'm wrong. Some of us do struggle with this, right? Well, he continues in verse 11. So if you struggle with this, I do sometimes, then make sure you continue leaning into this passage. He says, For the sun rises and together with the scorching wind dries up the grass, its flower falls off, and its beautiful appearance perishes. In the same way, the rich person will wither away. While pursuing his activities. Now, this passage is not against you having a good job. This passage is not against you doing well financially in life. What the passage is talking about here is where you are so consumed with the things of this world that that's all you have. You're living your entire life just trying to collect earthly riches. And so, verse 11, we we can relate to verse 11. Because this is like a Texas summer. Right now, you drive through the neighborhoods, all the lawns are green. You drive down the highway, and all the medians are green. Some of you probably planted. Anybody plant flowers this spring? Okay, so you got these beautiful flowers out in your yard, and they all look pretty. But right now, it's just the beginning part of June. July is on the way. And whenever we get to July, and the sun starts really bearing down uh, it's going to get a lot harder to keep all of that alive you have to actually intervene and do some things specific to keep the grass alive and to keep the flowers alive and they may make it through July but by the time we get to August when you drive around you're going to start seeing the medians are going to be kind of a beautiful Texas brown right why because of the Texas sun So James is saying this this is what happens. We we live our life thinking that that this is all there is, and we're chasing after all these things, but then eventually it's going to fade away. As a pastor, uh, my pastor's heart cries over this. I see this happen over and over and over again. We bring a short-term earthly perspective to a long-term heavenly God. And here's the result, spiritually. As long as we're having fun, as long as times are good, then brother, God is good. But, when things get tough, when things get harder, then we start asking the question, God, where are you? Why should I keep trusting you? And here's here's what I see happen. It's rarely articulated, but it's often lived out. I see people start getting frustrated and angry with God because they have a very short-term perspective of God. And like the sun withering the grass, their faith begins to wither. And then their lives start demonstrating what's happening inside. And in their lives begin to spring up complaining, criticizing, and cynicizing. And your life starts being marked by The anger that's within you. And so James continues. He says, Now blessed is the one who endures trials. Blessed is this one. Happy is this one. Joyful is this one. There's a real contentment for this person that endures trials. Why? Because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love Him. When He has stood the test, He will receive the crown of life that God has promised. Now notice this. God has promised this, and who has He promised this to? To those who love Him. And those who love Him endure the trial and stand the test to receive the crown of life. You guys remember the prehistoric days when our TVs were shaped like boxes and they were squares? I, I, a couple years ago, we, we converted a room to an HDTV from an old TV and I tried to give one of those square TVs to charity. <laughs> they won't take them. They say nobody wants those anymore. Those are relics of the past. My, my children probably don't even know what they were. Well, no, we made sure our children knew what they were, weren't they? Yeah, But, but why? Because we got TV. And what happened when you got HDTV? A couple things happened. One, the picture suddenly became a lot more clear, right? You could see things that you couldn't see before in the picture. And secondly, instead of seeing things in a box, things got wider. You began getting a wider perspective, and then wider and wider and wider, until now you have like whole movie rooms with the screen spanning from one wall to, to the other, a lot of people do. Well, this is how it is. When your perspective of God shifts from, what have you done for me lately, to what he has promised to those who love him. When you begin making that shift in perspective from, God, this is what I need you to do now, you need to do this right now, to, okay, God, what have you promised for those who love you, the perspective widens and suddenly the picture becomes more clear. Please, please, please embrace this reality. If you are a believer in Christ, know this. God loves, for, loves you. And His love for you is not just seen through your circumstances. His love for you is seen through the cross and the resurrection. If you ever begin doubting God's love for you, go back to the cross and go to the resurrection, and you see God's love for you demonstrated clearly for all eternity. And as a believer, here's what the passage teaches us. It is your love for God. As he says to you, I love you. You say back to him, I love you too. And it is your love for God that continues to motivate you to continue to have faith as you endure the trials. And his love for you reminds you that on the other side of the trial, and there will be another side of the trial. You say, well, the trial kills me. There's another side of the trial, even for a believer there. On the other side of the trial is the crown of life. And for those of us who desire to mature in Christ, grow in Christ, the ultimate goal of life is to receive the crown of life, the great reward, the great treasure of life that is found through bringing glory to God for all eternity. It's the time of the year where I like to sit outside. So I have my patio and I have my lawn chair and I like to go out there and eat and think and study. In fact, I put this sermon together sitting outside on my back patio. But now I have one problem this time of year, and it's been really bad this year. Flies. Flies. And so I was, I felt like the Lord of the flies. I was just swarmed by, (laughs) by flies. So I'm like, okay, I'm a man of 2019. I'll do what any self-respecting man of 2019 will do. I went to Amazon, and I thought there has to be a, prob- a solution for this. And so here's, here's what I found. This is what we call a fly trap, okay? Now, I love animals, and I, I, I want to preserve the life of animals. But when it comes to mosquitoes and flies, I'm a mercenary, okay? I'm just a stone-cold killer when it comes to mosquitoes and flies. And so I was like, I I, I want to get these things, okay? And so I, I ordered this, and uh, the way it works is there's bait in there. And you cut the hole, you pull this up, you get a string, and uh, the bait, you fill it with water. And so the bait begins to emanate, and the flies are attracted to that bait, and they come in the top up here, and then they go down deeper and deeper and deeper. And then they get trapped. And then they're gone. <laughs> it, it, it's awesome. <laughs> I got like a whole bag of flies in the backyard right now. It's, it's great. Now, a couple warning times. Some of you are probably on Amazon right now ordering it. But uh, 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 I'm just looking at the scripture, honey. No, no, no. Okay. First of all, I just want to warn you. They really, really stink. Okay? I mean, they like, really, really stink. Uh, and secondly... It's possible a chocolate lab might be attracted to him. So just a couple things (laughs) that you just need to be, be aware of that. But I've eliminated my fly problem. Now, Satan wants to trap you. He wants to steal your joy, steal your perspective, steal your purpose. And here's how his trap works. He begins with your mind. He wants to change your thinking change how you see truth, change how you process the world around you, change your worldview. And one of the things that Satan's really good at is convincing you that it's God's will to do ungodly things. It's not God's will for you to do things that God has clearly said in his word, this is not good. In verse 13, James says, no one undergoing a trial should say, I'm being tempted by God since God is not tempted by evil and he himself doesn't tempt anyone so this is the first thing that evil really tries to do you it tries to tries to do to you it tries to get you starting to think that okay well i need to embrace this ungodly method to solve this problem and it's god's will for me to do this if you look at history you will see that there are people have done incredibly ungodly things in the name of god i think god wants me to do this and they're so ungodly they're just reeking with evil You ever read about the Spanish Inquisition? They would literally torture people in order to get them to recant heresy. And in their minds, they somehow twisted it so that they thought, I'm doing something good for this person. God doesn't call you to embrace ungodly things in His name. Yet sometimes when we get frustrated by the trial, or the circumstances, then Satan's method is to trap us into thinking, just, just do this. Just cheat here. Just gossip here. Just slander here. Just, just do this, and it will solve your problems. Sometimes we start thinking, if God loved me, He wouldn't have let this happen to me. So I'm going to begin just pushing away from my thoughts and turning to my own way. And when we do that, the evil one smiles because he's luring you into the trap. The second layer is your heart. Look at the passage in verse 14. But each person is tempted when he is drawn away and enticed by his own evil desire. Now catch this imagery. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is fully grown, it gives birth to death. So what we have here is our own evil desire, and that evil desire becomes pregnant and gives birth. And what does is, what is evil desire give birth to? Sin. And then when sin is fully grown, it also gets pregnant, and it gives birth to death. So death becomes the grandchild of desire and the child of sin. You see, subtly, evil begins to draw us away. Whenever we are lacking wisdom, as the passage talked about last week, instead of praying and asking God to give us wisdom and to give us His guidance and to fill us with the Holy Spirit, we just start talking about it. We seek our answers from Google rather than the Holy Spirit. We scheme. We try to solve things on our own. And we start getting drawn away from the perspective of God and from the things of God. We get drawn away from worship. We quit realizing the importance of gathering with God's people to worship the name of God. You know, every time you come into worship and you you be a part of the group, part of the community, it's an act of humility. Because you're saying, I'm a part. I'm a part of this body, and we're coming from different parts of our community to worship God. Yet when we get in the trap, we start getting drawn away from worship. We get drawn away from the truth of the Bible, and we start thinking, ah, this is what I think. Or we start thinking, well, the Scriptures, they're they're really out of date, or they're boring. They're not really relevant. We get drawn away from community, and we start thinking, I can just do it on my own, and I I can worship God, I can live my life out on my own, I don't really need to be a part of the community, and we start becoming an island to ourselves rather than living life together as disciples who make disciples. And once we're drawn away from the things of God, we are fully in the trap, and that's when evil really begins to conceive. And our evil desires begin to take on a life of their own and they give birth to sin in our life. And when sin grows up, it gives birth to death. This is a theme all through Scripture that as sin matures in our life, the end result of sin is death. That's why Christ took on death and overcame it so that we might have life. When our hearts are drawn away from God, our years are walked on a meaningless path. Now keep leaning into the passage, we're we're almost done. James says, don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Don't fall for the bait. Don't fall for the lies. Satan's native language is to lie. Don't be deceived. You are my family. I love you. Please don't fall for this. God is not out to get you. God is not tempting you. Your circumstances are not the wrath of God upon you. God has not left you. You are a believer in Christ. God loves you, and nothing's going to separate you from that love. Lean into the trial and faith because God's growing you and He's maturing you. And when you're tempted to look around and be distraught, James says, look up and realize this, verse 17, Every good and perfect gift is from above. And it comes down from the Father of lights who does not change like shifting shadows. So get the contrast. The gifts of Satan are evil. The gifts of God are good. The gifts of Satan destroy life. The gift of God builds life. The gifts of Satan are temporary. The gifts of God are eternal. The shadows from the sun, they they will shift, but the Father of lights, you say, what does the Bible mean by the Father of lights? The the one who created the sun, the one who created the moon, the one who created the stars, though the shadows shift, the one who created it all, he does not change like shifting shadows. You ever discovered that sometimes it's hard to know in life what's real? Discovered yet, sometimes it's hard to know who really does love you? and who it is that just wants to use you. A few years ago, I had a big honor in my life. I was elected chairman of the board at a college and the seminary where I did my graduate work. And it was was a cool thing. It was a big responsibility, but it was a cool cool thing to be elected to that position. One of the things that I discovered after I got that title is that I had a lot of new friends. (laughs) Ever been in that situation? You get some type of responsibility or title and... Suddenly, you have a lot of new friends that want to talk to you and uh, bend your ear on things, stuff like that, maybe take you to coffee, whatever it might be. And then I lived out my term, and, and at the end of the term, here's something I discovered I discovered that some people really were my friends, and some people were just shifting shadows. They moved through life, but they really weren't going through life. They were just shifting. Listen to me, my friend. God doesn't just love you in the good times and leave you in the bad times. God loves you for all eternity. He doesn't change. He's not shifting in who He is His character doesn't alter based upon the circumstances. And if you are a believer in Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ because He doesn't love you based upon your loveliness. He loves you in Christ. And when you are in Christ, nothing's going to separate you from Christ. You belong to Him for all eternity. So anchor yourself in Him. Develop your perspective through Him. And the Bible says, by his own choice, he gave us birth. So remember the imagery earlier? Sin was giving birth. Well, God gives us birth by the word of truth. So so that we would be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God doesn't love you because he has to. By his own choice, he gave us birth. And it's anchored in his truth. So that we might be the leaders, the first fruits, the ones who are setting the pace of worship amongst the entire creation, using our lives for His glory. So when you go through that difficult season, know that God's not against you. I'll say this again. God is working in you so that He might work through you. you say that with me? God is working in you so that He might work through you. And as you go through the trial and go through the pain, I want you to know, when you hurt, I hurt. I'm sorry when you grieve, when you struggle. And the church body is here to walk with you through those difficult times. That's what it means to be a community of disciples. That we walk with one another and we help one another even when we go through the trial. But as you go through these seasons of your life, remember, God is not against you. He is working in you so that He might work through you. And remember how this passage began. Consider it great joy, my brothers and sisters, when you experience various trials, because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking nothing. Would you guys be so kind as to bow your heads with me, please, as we come to a time of commitment. The band's going to come and they're going to lead us in worship. We're going to have a season where we give back to God of our offerings and we proclaim that everything that we have comes from Him through the giving of tithes and offerings. But before we do this, let's just bow our heads before the Lord in a season of prayer. I want you to know I'll be here at the front, and if there's anything that I may pray with you about, help you with, if there's a decision that you need to make today, I'm here, I love being a pastor to you. Come see me. We'll walk through it together. Heavenly Father, we bow our heads before you, and I pray that you will help us to widen our perspective and to see things not merely through the earthly lens, but to see things with a heavenly lens. Father, help us to get a glimpse of the crown of life and to realize that when we get that glimpse, then suddenly things become more clear and wide and we begin to understand that you're alive and you're well and you're working and that we get to be a part of that. I do pray for those that walk into these doors today and are frustrated, struggling. I pray, Father, for healing in those struggles in our life. Pray, Father, for wisdom. And I pray that you might continue to mature us and grow us so that we might be your people. When people think about Murphy Church, may they think of a group of people that are humble, people that are walking with the Holy Spirit, people that are seeking truth, loving one another and loving others. May they also see a church where you're doing work in our heart that matures us and grows us because we understand that you are working in us so that you may work through us. It's in Jesus' name we pray and worship. All God's people said.